Three weeks ago, musicians and religious leaders, politicians, former presidents gathered alongside friends, family, and neighbors to celebrate the life of Aretha Franklin, who died last month. Her funeral and those who attended it was a testament to the kind of woman that she was. Not only did she rise from incredibly humble beginnings to become a groundbreaking and influential musician, she was also a civil rights activist who used her influence to fight for the rights of African Americans at a time of great social division. One of those who spoke at her funeral was the Reverend Jesse Jackson, and he recalled how she and Harry Belafonte had gone on tour to a number of cities to raise funds for the work of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And while she was on stage in Houston, Texas, somebody pumped tear gas through the fan system into the room, which forced the evacuation of the building. And Jesse Jackson said, she kept right on singing. Hers really was a life well lived. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And here Paul's talking about the kind of life that Jesus has called every one of us, every one of us, every one of his followers to live. Over the coming weeks, we will be looking together at what it means to live a life as a church and as individuals that is worthy of God's calling as we engage with a talk series entitled Live with Jesus. As part of this, last week, Susie shared with us how when we experience Jesus, we are called and compelled to go and tell other people about him because of what he has done for us. We come and see and we go and tell. We saw that we're called to live outward-focused, outward-looking lives. And in the coming weeks, we'll spend some time studying the teaching of Jesus, seeing how he calls us to live lives that are characteristically compassionate and generous, spirit-filled and servant-hearted. Today, I want to take us to an important Bible passage where we see that Jesus calls us to live lives which are full of fruit, full of good fruit. Lives where those around us, people in need, will be blessed and provided for, where we have our prayers answered, where our needs are provided for, where we will be actually uh, living a life rested, free of heavy burdens, at peace, unconditionally loved. A life where we will never be alone, we will never be abandoned. A life where we will see miraculous things happen, miraculous healings, lives transformed through the Holy Spirit. A life where others see the change in us and whose eternal destiny is transformed as they come into relationship with Jesus. Life really in all its fullness, life in abundance. I don't know about you, but I would like to live a life like that. So the question here is, well, how do we get that? And the answer, or part of that anyway, is found in a passage from John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to it or turn your device on. The, the disciples have just celebrated the Last Supper, as we just did, and they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane from where Jesus was arrested, was crucified, and then three days later was raised again. To life. So John chapter 15, we're going to begin at verse 1. I'm going to read a fair chunk of it because it really is very, very valuable 
as is all the scriptures, but this is a chunk we really need to engage with. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and therefore speaking to us. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, verse 14 here, are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. So what can all this stuff about fruit and vines tell us about how to live fruitful lives in reality? Well, I believe the first clear message that emerges from this passage is that fruitfulness comes from remaining, okay? You can often tell the thrust of a passage of Scripture by the number of times a word is used, and amazingly, Jesus uses the word remain 11 times, and the fruit of remaining joined to him nine times in the passage we just read. Other translations of the Bible in the English language use the word abide in place of remain, which is not a word that we use very often, but according to the dictionary means to stay, to dwell, to reside. And the picture Jesus is painting here is not one where the Christian life involves popping in to see Jesus for a couple of hours on a Sunday or perhaps on a Thursday evening at small group, but one of constant connection of living life with him, walking with him daily. A really fruitful life comes from remaining in Jesus, staying joined to Jesus. And Jesus makes it very, Jesus makes it very clear that we can't produce fruit without that, without him. Verse four, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. What, is it, what do you mean, I can do nothing? Well, this passage was originally written in Greek, and I've checked 
the Greek. I don't know much of it, but I've checked scholars who've commented on the Greek here. And the Greek word for nothing here actually means nothing. (laughs) I then checked five or ten Bible translations, and everyone agrees with the sense of that phrase that apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything. It's slightly mysterious, because does that mean that all the non-Christians out there are achieving nothing? Some seem to have achieved a lot more than a whole lot of Christians have. Well, it depends what you mean by thing. Um, What Jesus means by fruitfulness is all the things that we just looked at, and especially things which have eternal significance, would change people's destiny for eternity. What Jesus is telling us in the passage is that that kind of fruit only grows on branches which are vitally joined to him. Now, I'm assuming not many of us here are viticulturists, and many of the rest of us have no idea what a viticulturist is. I certainly didn't until I looked it up. It is someone who is an expert at growing grapes. So let me give you another analogy, which for most of us uh, we're more engaged with on a daily basis. When Debbie and I moved to Nottingham, it's shocking to think, 22 years ago, to start this church, I had never written an email I'd never used the internet. I'd never used a mobile phone. A time that many of you would refer to as the olden days. (laughs) Those days, days are definitely long gone. We are increasingly and constantly reliant on the internet and connectability. We communicate with each other online. We use email and social media and FaceTime, we assume, for free, you can actually talk video to someone in another country, a different part of the world. Absolutely astounding. For anyone in my generation, it's like, what? You have to, like, remortgage, save up, and then have, wait for an operator to connect to you over five minutes before you spoke for 30 seconds, because that's all you could afford, and rang off. Shopping. From everyday things like food or clothes to bigger purchases, like holidays, insurance, houses are all available online. We do our banking. I haven't been in a bank for years, actually in a building as far as I can recall. We have our calendars, our music, even our work synced to different devices so we can access it whenever and wherever we are. Now before I show you a picture of what may be one of our worst nightmares, here's a warning. Okay, you ready? For many of us, our worst nightmare is this. Oh no, for those of you listening to this talk on podcast, the picture is of a computer screen with a little Tyrannosaurus and the message, no internet. A member of the church recently shared the trauma their teenage son had experienced over the summer when they realized that the idyllic holiday cottage they were about to spend a week in (laughs) did not have Wi-Fi. Of course, life does go on without the internet, but sometimes it feels as though without Wi-Fi, you can do nothing. (laughs) And this is what Jesus is getting at in the vine analogy. The computer or the phone is only fruitful if it has signal, if it is connected through Wi-Fi. And the branch is only fruitful if the sap from the main vine is flowing through it. And in the same way, we can only be fruitful, we can only have the kind of life that Jesus describes if we stay vitally connected to him. Just as we can't make the internet work by simply hitting the keys a little bit harder, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's tried that, refresh, (laughs) mouse, whatever, you know, a branch 
on a grapevine doesn't produce grapes by effort, screwing up its face and just wishing the grapes into being. It cannot strive and strain to produce fruit. It acts as a conduit for the sap which is flowing through the vine. If it remains attached to the vine, the sap from the vine will flow through it. The natural result on the end of the branches will be grapes. In due time, that fruit simply will appear. And in the same way, a fruitful life cannot be achieved by straining and striving. Yes, there's work we need to do. It's indirect effort to open up the pathways of grace. We have to be proactive, but the fruit that Jesus talks about only comes when we stay connected to him, when we abide and remain in him. So what does it mean to remain in the vine, to abide in Jesus? Well, it means a whole lot, and there's more to remaining in him than I can possibly cover in this talk. But let me just highlight two major aspects of remaining as I understand them. So fruitfulness, we know, comes from remaining. Remaining means relationship. Remaining means relationship. In verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Friends, that's the relationship we have. We're invited to with our older brother, Jesus. Friends, and friends, you know, they talk to each other. Friends stay in touch with each other. They spend time together. And the deeper a relationship is, the more time they're likely to spend being together and talking. The closer the friends, the more they're likely to share with one another, actually share the intimate moments of their life together. And Jesus calls us friends, not just servants, not just acquaintances, but close friends. And Jesus mentions the word love or loved in this passage nine times, indicating the closeness of our relationship. It's not a casual relationship, but one of deep love. Even in the closest relationship, we can get so busy that we find our relationships with certain friends become more distant. You know, the busyness of life just has the habit, doesn't it, of squeezing time, squeezing our social time with them. And it's the same with remaining in Jesus. We can so easily allow busyness to squeeze our time with the Lord to a minimum. Abiding in Jesus needs us to be proactive and a fruitful life is one where we consciously choose to spend time talking with him and listening to him, engaging with him. Now this begs the question, when and where do we do that? How much time do we need to spend engaging in our relationship with God? And they're not easy questions to answer thoroughly here because of time, but everyone connects with Jesus also in different ways. But to begin to answer this, this is, I find, a helpful little analogy the analogy of charging your mobile phone, okay? So some people pop their phone on charge same time every morning, come down, clean their teeth, come down, plug it in during breakfast. They spend you know, a short time charging it. Okay, it's topped up and off they go. And they do that really regularly. They're really good at routine. And that's how they keep it topped up. Others might leave it longer, actually let it run down a bit further. And then they put it on charge for longer in order to get it uh, back to where it should be. So some people plug in, you know, people who like routine, they plug into Jesus in relatively short times, 
perhaps every morning at a certain time, they're very good at that. Others might wait longer between times, it's a bit more erratic, and then they might spend a more extended time with him. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all when it comes to spending time with Jesus, with our Heavenly Father. Some approaches will work for you, one group of people, which won't work for another, and, and vice versa. I have found what works for me, and many of you here will have found what works for you. And it's going to be different, a little bit different for each of us. Uh, some of you may not have found what works for you. And as a result, you feel somewhat distant from God. The important thing about remaining in Jesus, staying connected to him, is that it is really important not to let it get to this. For those of you listening to this talk on a podcast, I'm showing a picture of a phone battery near empty. And this is what Jesus means when he says in verse 6 that branches that don't remain in him wither and die. Just like the phone that has no charge is no good to us. In fact, we call it dead. phone's dead. Okay? It's run out of battery. It cannot perform its function. Interestingly, a common expression for a flat phone battery is it's run out of juice. Run out of juice. I was actually this morning on the BBC uh, Learning English site uh, which for people of foreign languages learning, like, what does this mean when I'm in a conversation? They say something's run out of juice. My phone isn't working because it's out of juice. Just an interesting, I think, parallel there between sap flowing through a branch, producing juicy grapes on the end, and uh, a phone being dead. And so I'm going to encourage you to remember those three images of the phone going down towards empty. And when you plug your phone in next, and maybe next week and next month, when you think, oh, my phone, oh, run out of juice. Stop to think, where are you at? Have I run out of juice? Where am I in terms of my relationship with Jesus? Am I feeling topped up? Am I, do I need to actually invest more in that? So what's your battery indicator looking like today? Right now. If that empty picture illustrates where you are today, I really want to encourage you to take action to change it. Brother Lawrence was a monk, he lived in the 15th century, and he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in it, he talks about being aware of the Lord's presence at every waking moment, conversing with him almost continually. This comes more easily to some than others. Uh, I tend to get very focused on what I'm doing, and sometimes I forget there is a God for like an hour because, uh, you know, I'm doing something which I'm very engaged in. I'm terrible at practicing the presence of God, but he was just fantastic at it and really has some valuable principles in that book he's known as the kitchen saint because he was a dishwasher at the monastery and it was in the kitchen that he learned to still himself and abide in God's presence and in his book he writes in very old-fashioned language the time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if upon my knees before the blessed servant. He's as connected to God, he's at peace, just as much in a noisy kitchen as he is actually quietly kneeling before the Lord. Sounds great, doesn't it? And some of you may be thinking, well, it's okay for a monk, I'm sure, you know, in a monastery. Maybe okay for someone who's like on staff in a church. But, you know, you don't understand. I've got a full-time God a job. I've also... <laughs> I'll rest on that slip of the tongue. That's a good one. 
and never forget it. We all have a full-time God always present to us. We may not always be present to him. But to come back to my notes, it's okay for a monk, someone on church stuff. I've got a full-time job. I've got three kids. I've got elderly relatives to care for. I've got this to do and that errand to run. And, you know, that's the reality for many of us. But notice the title of this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Now, of course, he means connecting with God needs to be deliberately put into practice. Okay? This is the practice of doing that. But it's interesting that um, it actually takes practice. You can look at that word, word both ways. Even a monk had to work at it. But he understood what Jesus was telling us in this passage, that we need to abide in Jesus' presence. And his mindset was that he could meet with God anywhere, anytime. Remaining, abiding, on one level is a passive thing. There's a certain resting in him, resting in his presence. And we can spend time just simply being with God in solitude, alone. And it's a place of rest. But it's also an active state. We cannot assume our relationship with the Lord will be healthy if we don't do anything about it. So whether it's beginning each day talking to God before turning on anything else like a television or a phone or a radio, or the habit of reading a passage from the Bible each day, or whether it's checking in with God for a few moments throughout the day, whether it's doing what I've begun more recently, I'm still terrible at it, which is the daily examine. I've now got it on my phone. I've got um, Dan Wilt off a video I've got it recorded on my phone so like last night as I went to bed I played that and in real time it just takes you through examining the last few hours connecting with God and considering the next few hours so all sorts of tools out there or whether it's uh, listening to worship while you're driving or walking reading devotional books fasting writing in a journal I believe that God wants to encourage us to prioritize spending time with him in whatever way works for us so remaining means relationship. It also means obedience. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You are my friends if you do what I command. And it's interesting in 1 John 2 verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. It's like a measure. Am I really following Jesus? Am I really connected to it? Well, it'll be fruitful in my life. Jesus compares our remaining in his love to his remaining in his Father's love, and he did that through obedience. You know, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he didn't give in. He was tempted to do things his Father didn't want him to do. And he was tempted not to do things his father did want him to do. But he was obedient to his father's will. And what this passage is telling us is that if we want the life that Jesus promises, we need to live the lifestyle that he asks us to do. A lifestyle of obedience. I don't know whether you find obedience easy. It comes naturally to you. I don't think it does to many of us. Certainly not to me. We are all sinners. We all fall short. And obedience is easier said than done. There may be lots of things that we want out of life, but changing our lifestyle doesn't come so easily. So next week, as we've just heard, is the Robin Hood Marathon. 
and uh, thousands of runners, most I think it's half marathon, will be coming just down the road there on Abbey Bridge, raising hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity or running the 13 miles for their own sense of achievement or just for fun. Now, I've always liked the idea of running, and when I see people participating in the Robin Hood Marathon, I think, you know, they look so fit and strong, and runners talk about the rush of endorphins they get from running, which is what I think these guys are experiencing. And then there's all the running gear and the fancy trainers and sports technology clothing. It does seem so incredibly appealing. But actually, <laughs> getting up and running, in fact, practicing in advance daily, getting up on a gray drizzly or a cold morning and actually putting one foot in front of the other quite fast, forget it. That seems less appealing. But if I want to be a runner, I need to actually run. I need to actually practice it. In the same way, if I want the life that Jesus promises, I need to live a lifestyle that he asks of me. And there may be some areas in my life that need to change. If we're living life forever focused on what we want, rather than God's desire for us to obey his will, we'll find that our lives won't be that fruitful. But if we are living a life focused on what he wants, we will find fruit in our life. It's perhaps not a comfortable thing to think about, but if each of you might just for a moment cast your mind back to the seasons, decisions, and actions in your life that you are least proud of. Did those regretful moments occur when you would say you were in a season of being earnestly and committedly connected to Jesus? Or more likely, were they at points where you were more distant? Paul's letter to Titus says this in Titus 2.11, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It's interesting that another meaning of the word abide is to act in accordance with a rule, a decision, a recommendation, as in the expression to abide by the rules. To be fair, this isn't the main meaning of the word abide in this passage, but it does, it's interesting, it highlights a biblical truth that as we spend more time connected to God in his presence, he transforms us and obedience becomes the natural outworking of that relationship. So when we're most connected to Jesus, obedience comes most easily. And the reverse is true. It's far easier to wander off track when we are disconnected from him. Andrew Murray, in his book, Abiding Christ, which was written about 120 years ago, wrote this. Abiding in Jesus is nothing but the giving up of oneself to be ruled, taught, and led, enabling the disciple to rest in the arms of everlasting love. The giving up of oneself to be ruled, taught, and led. So just to look at that text again, Titus 2, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It's not simply that with the strength of our will, we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It's the grace of God which teaches us to do that. And so that grace is like the sap which flows in an abiding relationship with Jesus. As we abide in Christ, as we remain in Jesus, we will find obeying his commands comes more naturally 
And so as we've looked at this passage in John 15 today, I hope that you've been impressed as I have by the overwhelming sense of goodness and reward that we experience through choosing to abide in Jesus. Jesus calls us to live lives where we abide in him because it's here that we experience deep relationship with him. Incredible thing that's on offer to us. And through Jesus' relationship with the Father as we walk with him daily. It's here that we are propelled towards obedience as we adopt the lifestyle that Jesus asks of us. And ultimately, it's here, abiding and remaining in Jesus, that we get to see and experience fruit, eternally significant fruit in our lives. Over the coming weeks, we'll be looking more at the kind of fruit that abiding in the vine might lead to, but I just want to leave you with one. Upon hearing of Aretha Franklin's death, former U.S. President and First Lady Barack and Michelle Obama said this of the singer in a post on social media. Born in Memphis and raised in Detroit, Aretha Franklin grew up performing gospel songs in her father's congregation. For more than six decades since, every time she sang, we were all graced with a glimpse of the divine. What a wonderful way to be remembered. Gracing people, grace flowing through us, and people receiving a glimpse of the divine. And my prayer for every one of us would be that we would live lives through which others would glimpse the divine, would see in us the grace and the person of Jesus. I want to live the most fruitful life I possibly can. I want to live the kind of life that Jesus promises, and to get to the end of my life and to know that I have lived a life well lived. Not for my own gain, and certainly not so I can leave a legacy and have important people post something amazing on social media about me, but all to the glory of God. Crucially, verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We can't all be singers like Aretha, But the invitation that Jesus is extending to us this morning is to bear the kind of fruit that points to God, that glorifies him. Whatever we're doing, whether you're caring for small children, working in a hospital, running a small business, volunteering for a charity, cleaning the streets, we are all invited to stay connected to God and thus bear fruit so that everything we do as individuals and as a church would ultimately be for God's glory.